Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we at ho- are at home or away, we, may, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Lord God, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, your timeless, eternal, inerrant word. We ask that you would bring it home to us today, Lord, that we would understand that with eyes of faith we might see and know who you are more and more. We thank you and praise you for our Savior. In his name, amen. Now, last week, we looked at the reality of the suffering and weakness that Christians bear in this life. Remember, Paul's critics looked at his continual intense afflictions as proof against the message of the gospel. But remember how Paul had flipped that logic on its head, proclaiming that suffering and weakness of believers is according to God's purpose to show God's surpassing power. And his point wasn't simply to employ jars of clay, weak, fragile vessels like you and me, to make his strength more apparent, but actually to work in our lives and prepare us through our struggles an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. A believer's current suffering does not imply God's rejection or neglect. No, instead, it is a peculiar means by which God is working in the world and preparing us for glory. This is where we concluded last week, but if we think about it, Paul didn't take a week-long break. He just kept on writing. And so as we continue in in Paul's line of thought in today's passage, we notice that he's continuing with very, very similar themes. We have this idea of future glory and the unseen over and against the things that are seen, the present struggles of the world around us. But in our passage today, Paul takes us from this life to the life to come. He asks tough questions. What happens when it's all over? What happens when we die? What does this mean for us? What does this mean for our faith? See, God doesn't promise us eternal life in these physical bodies here and now. Whether through old age, disease, or tragedy, all humanity will face death. And while we pray for healing, even miracles only postpone that relentless 
common enemy that we will all face in death. And so today, Paul teaches us that what we know enables us to live courageously by faith, seeking to please God in whatever state we find ourselves in. I'll say that again. Paul teaches us that what we know enables us to live courageously by faith, seeking to please God in whatever state in life we find ourselves. And we find this when we look to the heart of our passage, when we look at verse 7. Now verse 7, I know you don't have the numbers in front of you, but it's that statement that we walk by faith, not by sight. It's the second paragraph. And you may want to underline that. See, if you look at this this verse, and then you look at the one that's right before it in verse 6, you see this. It says, so, as in because of everything that happened in verses 1 through 5, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are in the body, or in the home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And then if you skip beyond this verse, and you look at verse 7 or 8, you hear, yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so what we have is these two nearly parallel verses that bracket this statement. They highlight it, that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. But if you look closely, these two verses are similar, but not identical. While they begin with courage, Paul highlights different things. See, in verse 6, he says that we know that while we are at home in the body. Whereas verse 8 says that we would rather be away from the body. And this is significant because Paul is showing us that first, we walk by faith through knowledge. And then secondly, we live out that faith by acting upon it with hearts that are changed, with minds that are changed. Our desires are towards the Lord. So in other words, Paul gives us both why and how We walk by faith, which is wonderful for me because then it provides us with a really simple outline for today's message. In verses 1 through 6, we see that we walk by faith, not by sight, because of what we know. And then point 2 in verses 8 through 10, we walk by faith, not by sight, by living out and seeking to please the Lord. So we'll start with, of course, point 1. We live by faith, not by sight, because of what we know. So what is it that we know? Well, if you look at verse 1, it says, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heaven. So first, we know by sight or by physical experience that our bodies are like tents. Now, if you've ever been tent camping you understand Paul's analogy. See, when I was a kid, that was what my family did each summer. It was cheap to go up to northern Minnesota. And so we would pack our tent up. We would pack up our coolers, our fishing gear, our canoes. And we would go way up to the boundary waters in northern Minnesota, hoping that we wouldn't see anybody all week. Now, we always kind of had our our ragtag tents. But one year, our family went all in. And we bought this beautiful Coleman tent. Like as a kid, it was amazing. We were walking through Walmart and here is this tent that that fits six to eight fully grown adults. And it was brand new and it was on the clearance rack. 
And so our family grabbed that and we brought it with us. It was an amazing thing. And it had all the bells and whistles that any kid from the 90s could wish for. I mean, it had zippers over the, over the windows. It had little pockets that you could put your valuables in. It even had this like this screen that would let down in the middle of the room so you could split the room in half. I mean, like as an eight-year-old kid, I thought we had arrived at the very pinnacle of tent camping with our gray and purple, beautiful, brand new Coleman tent. And year after year, we took this tent out. We took it up to the boundary waters. But over time, my enthusiasm for this tent started to dim. The beautiful colors were faded by the sun. They had gotten bleached and they were not really purple and not really gray. They were just kind of ugly. The plastic stakes broke and needed to be replaced. The tent pegs or the the poles that you would use to set up this tent would get bent and sort of warped in the wind. The little pockets ripped. There were little burn holes all over the place because our campfire was a little too close and ashes had gotten onto the tent. One evening, our fly blew away. The covering over the top blew away. See, each time we used it, the tent wore out, bore more and more little battle scars along the way. And like our bodies, this tent isn't a permanent home. It's rather a temporary dwelling, a place That served a necessary but a short-lived purpose. And so verse 1 tells us that by sight, we know that our physical bodies are these temporary tents. But by faith, we know that even when our earthly bodies are taken down for the last time, God has prepared for us an eternal home in heaven. Death isn't the end. It's rather the entrance into our eternal home. See, for Paul... He was willing to live a life full of risk because he knew that through it, God was being glorified, that the gospel was going forward, that the surpassing power of God was being shown, and that as long as God kept him here on earth, God would provide the inner resources needed for him to keep going. But even if God chose not to deliver him from death, he knew that heaven would be waiting for him. Paul reminds me of of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. In our prayer meeting this morning, we read from the book of Daniel. And if you go back from chapter 9, I think it's in chapter 4, we see this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you remember how it goes, right? King Nebuchadnezzar had made this giant idol and that he everyone would bow down and worship it when they heard the trumpets going and all these crazy instruments. And then King Nebuchadnezzar heard that these men refused to bow down to this idol. And he's furious and he's mad. And he he comes to them and says, look, I'm going to give you one more chance. And if you don't bow down to this idol, I'll throw you into this fiery furnace. You remember how they answered him. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Did you hear that? What they're saying is our God can deliver us. He can miraculously keep us from burning alive in the fiery furnace. But even if He doesn't, Even if He chooses to let us die this painful death, 
Our faith will not be shaken. We will do what's right. We won't bow down to your idol. And this is Paul's attitude about affliction and suffering and even death. Christians, our sight tells us that our life is not permanent and that our bodies, our tents, are fading away. But our faith reminds us that we have a permanent home that is waiting. A home that can never be destroyed. Then Paul goes on. He's telling us that tent living is not only temporary, but it actually motivates us in our yearning for heaven. He says that it ought to work in us a greater desire for our permanent home. And we see this in verses 2 and in verse 4. Verse 2 says, In this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. And then if you jump over a verse, in verse 4 he continues, that while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be fully clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So Paul describes life in this tent as groaning, as longing, as being burdened. There is a deep discomfort, a longing, a pressure upon us that squeezes out these inarticulate sounds, sounds deeper than words, feelings that language cannot even express. If we return to this idea of camping, sleeping on the cold, hard ground, being constantly exposed to whatever temperature it is where you're cold at night and you're hot during the day, You're exposed to the weather and the rain that comes in. As we experience this night after night, we find ourselves groaning and longing for our own beds. So that as the week goes on, our bodies get tired. Don't we find ourselves more and more thankful that our current arrangement is only temporary? That at the end of the week, we will leave the tent and the sleeping bag and the cold hard ground. And we'll get in our car and we'll drive back home to our permanent residence. Sitting empty, waiting to comfort us when we come home. See, in the tents of our physical bodies, we groan and ache more and more. The more naturally we long for our heavenly home. See, the longer we carry our heavy burdens in this life, the greater our hope and the anticipation of laying them down one day. I so appreciate uh, our liturgy and and the reading. And and today we came to Romans chapter 8 where we also hear of other groaning that takes place. That it's not only us, but it's also all of creation that's longing to throw off sin and death and be remade. In verse 22 it said, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so we groan, living by faith, assured of the things that we hope for, with conviction of the things that cannot be seen. We see the tents. We don't see heaven. And yet, we live by faith in hope. Longing for heaven. Where does this come from? Well, for Paul, it's clear. It comes from the Holy Spirit who has come to us. 
See, in Romans 8, if we were to continue reading, the very next verse says that it is the Spirit who helps us in our weakness. If you move back in Romans, Paul talk, again talking about hope, says that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then here again in 2 Corinthians, Paul says in verse 5 that God has made us mortal, putting in us a longing for immortality, for death to be swallowed up by life, which we have as a guarantee by the Holy Spirit. See, again and again and again in our short study of these chapters in 2 Corinthians, the Spirit has this active, active role in our lives here and now. Remember what He's done. In week one, we talked about the Spirit writing on tablets of, of human hearts, not on tablets of stone. That He's transformed our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. That He's made us alive. That He's unveiled our eyes. That He's shown light of recreation, allowing blind eyes to see. That He gave us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That He's transforming us into His image. That He sustains us through adversity in this life. And here He is again as our guarantee. The promise of our inheritance. The basis of hope. Of faith in what we cannot see. See, we don't walk alone. And our faith isn't reliant upon our ability to be strong. Now remember, we are weak. But our weakness drives us to God. A God who has called us in our weakness, telling us to trust in His strength. Reminding that His grace is sufficient for us. That His power is made perfect in our weakness. And our God who tells us this isn't outside of us, far away directing us on how we should live. But He's actually here with us. That He's inside of us. That He's reminding us constantly that all the promises of God belong to us. That they are available to us. That knowledge of the Lord has been revealed and He is faithful to His Word. People of God, let us be people of the book. People that long to hear God's Word. That in groaning, instead of looking out and asking the world how we might escape our affliction, we might go to our Father and ask, what does God say about this? And how can I live faithfully for Him, enduring even this? It's a beautiful thing, and we know that it's for His glory and our eternal good. Notice what happens in verse 6. Paul says that we are always of good courage. That we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from home in the Lord. Now if I can get a little bit nerdy with you real quick, these words at home and away from both speak to one's position to a home. It's one of those moments where Greek is a little bit helpful uh, because it's only the difference of one little prefix that makes the difference here. It's ende mesai and ek de mesai. In one's home versus out of one's home. And so Paul says that while we are here in our earthly bodies, in our physical tents, our temporary home, we are away from our permanent home. 
But notice that our home isn't simply a place. We've been talking a lot about heaven. And he's not just talking about heaven. Look at what he says. Our home is with the Lord. That our heart's greatest desire is not simply to escape our condition or to lay our burdens down. To get away from our physical aches and pains and the deterioration of our lives. We're not simply looking to get out of this life. But no, our home is with the Lord. Our God who loves us. Our God who says that He leaves the 99 to come and find us. Our God who sent His Son, Jesus, for us. Jesus who left His place in heaven to become a servant. To experience death for us. The One who bears nail marks on His body and a hole in His side for our sakes. The Lion of Judah, the Lamb that was slain, worthy of all praise. God who welcomes us home at death and brings our souls to be with Him on the day that we die. That we long and we look forward to the day of Christ when our souls will be reunited with our bodies. Better, eternal, resurrected bodies like our Savior's. But we know this by faith, not by sight. And so Paul tells us that we live by faith. And here's the transition where we come to point two, which is significantly shorter than point one. So we, what we know changes how we live. See, if life here and now in this temporary home, away from the immediate presence of the Lord... We are freed up to live courageously, confidently for the Lord in this life. That's what Paul says. He says we are of good courage. That we would rather be away from our home in the body and be at home with the Lord. In Philippians, Paul says it like this. He says to live is Christ. This fruitful labor for Christ and for others. And to die is gain. Better by far to depart and be with Christ. So as with Paul, when someone is not afraid to die, they're actually enabled to live more fully in this life. I once heard a story about men who were fighting guerrilla warfare behind enemy lines, and I I can't remember exactly what it was, if it was a documentary um, or a book or something like that. Uh, But the story has stayed with me. It was very, very powerful. It was an elite force that had accomplished incredible, almost unbelievable feats in the line of duty. And what they were known for was their reckless abandonment. And it proved that they were nearly unstoppable. No one could stop them uh, through their recklessness. And years later, someone came and they interviewed one of these men. And he said, what is the secret to your success? The man answered him and said, we considered ourselves dead men walking. When we made peace with the fact that we were already dead, we were able to put the mission above our lives, risking what no living person would be willing to risk. Now Paul isn't telling us that we're already dead, but he is telling us that there is something infinitely more valuable than our earthly lives. That we were created for something far greater than worldly success or fame or comfort or an avoidance of pain, suffering, or death here and now. No, we were made to live by faith. Made to walk humbly before our God. Made to please our God. Which is what we see in verse 9. 
that whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. See, God's got us. He's in control. He knows the number of hours, the days, the weeks, the months of our lives ahead of us. And He's laid out a path for us. And so we walk in this life free to follow wherever He may lead us. Free to follow and obey whatever the cost. To know Him and make Him known. Understanding that our lives matter and that what we do or do not do make an eternal impact. See, Paul gives us this reminder in in our last verse. He says that one day we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of our whole lives. Thought. Word and deed. Yes, we are reminded that there is an ultimate verdict of guilt and innocence. And we are reminded that none of us can go confidently before the judgment seat of Christ bearing our own lives, our works done in this life, or our own goodness. No, we can go confidently though through Jesus Christ who gave Himself up for us. That we go in through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that saves us by grace alone. And this faith is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that none of us can boast. Those who have put their faith in Christ are washed in His blood. And our sins are blotted out. And our guilt is completely done away with. We are saved because of what Jesus did alone. And yet it's interesting the way that Paul uses it here. He's saying that it doesn't mean that we can live however we want because God has got us. See, salvation isn't simply a getting out of jail free card so we can live haphazard lives doing whatever pleases us. No, no, no. Salvation is a total life change. So rather than pleasing ourselves, we seek to please God regardless of the situation and stage of life that we're in. Paul's aim is to please the Lord, whether in life or in death, knowing that He will give an account to God one day of His deeds. That's our aim as well. It doesn't matter if you're nine or a hundred and nine. God has placed you in a unique situation in order that you might glorify Him here on earth. It doesn't matter if you're living out your dream that you're having the best time of your life or maybe you feel stuck at a dead-end job or you're getting laid off. You may stay home. You might be a kid in school. You might be going to college. You might be working. You might be retired. You might be single. You might have a family. You might be an empty nester. You might be healthy or sick on top of the world or in the dumps. Whatever situation in life you find yourself in, we are reminded that the only way to live faithfully for God is by looking at the unseen rather than the seen. Living by faith to please Him rather than living in ourselves to please ourselves. Now it's true that our works don't save us. Absolutely not. They're simply the fruit and evidence of a true and lively faith. The external proof that we are in Christ. And through the Spirit, we are enabled to bear much fruit. Now the confession has a great chapter on this. Chapter 16. And I would recommend that to you for further reading about fruits and how that works. But for now, I want to draw your attention to paragraph 6. And listen closely because the wording gets a little bit 
Well, it's just not the way we speak today. But listen to this. It's great. The persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their goods are also accepted in Him. Not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight, but that He, looking upon them in His Son, is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied by many weaknesses and imperfections. You hear what that's saying? God rewards good works in His people, not because we twist His arm by our good works, and not because He owes us anything at all, but because He looks upon them in His Son. Like a mother who readily accepts weeds, these dandelions that your kids bring in, a whole pile of dandelions, these beautiful gift for a queen. And a mom doesn't say, get those weeds out of here, but rather takes them and accepts them as this offer, this token of love. So God, looking at our righteous acts, our filthy rags that we bring before Him, He looks at as them as they're done purely in Jesus Christ in love through Christ, that He has redeemed even our good works. Now this world may look at Christians and ask the question and be confused by the way that we, we seem to be willing to sacrifice so much, to give up so much in the comfort of this life. But Paul reminds us that our lives and our sacrifices are investments with eternal future benefit. So people of God, Paul's message here is clear. Walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, you may groan now in the body. This life is temporary and our eternal home is being prepared for us. Your groaning should not lead you to despair and your burden should not crush you. Rather, they remind us of God's sustaining power and cause us to long for our eternal home. God is at work within you. Therefore, walk according to faith in the promises of God. Face this life courageously, knowing that this world is not our home, and that when we leave these earthly tents, we will go to be with Him in eternal, surpassing glory. Live for Him now, whatever your lot may be, knowing that what you do today has eternal purpose. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.